Hello and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And today our topic is electrotherapy, and our guest is Dr. George O'Clock, author of Electrotherapeutic Devices, Principles, Design, and Applications, and former president of the International Biological Closed Electric Circuits in Medicine and Biology, known as the IABC, an association that was founded by Dr. Bjorn Nordenstrom in 1983. How in the world did you first become interested in the use of electrotherapy? I came in kind of through the side door. When I was teaching at Minnesota State in Mankato, there was an announcement from the Mayo Graduate School of Medicine, Department of Pharmacology, that they needed somebody to help them with scanning electron microscope data and chemical analysis. So I volunteered. That's something I wanted to get into. So I said, rather than a student, I said, how about me? And so I worked there for a couple of years with Dr. Stuart Taylor. And what horrified me during that two years was the effect of chemotherapeutic agents and radiation on cells in the body where essentially the chemotherapy or the radiation was treating cancerous cells but just killing critically important cells, cardiovascular cells, renal cells, cells in the gastrointestinal tract. I mean, the, you know, the cancer was being treated, but the patient was being killed from the standpoint of the therapy to the failure of other organs. And I told Stuart, there's got to be a better way. And he said, well, George, find it. And he wasn't being flippant. He was he essentially, it was a challenge. And so at that time, I realized that electrical processes are huge with respect to the way our body grows and regulates, communicates, evolves, reproduces, and heals itself. And using a variety of electrical or electromechanical mechanisms or electrochemical mechanisms at the tissue and organ level, you know, our body grows and heals itself. And this information is looking at us in conventional textbooks. It's right in the diagrams in biochemistry, molecular biology, immunology, and physiology. But very few people in the biological sciences and medical fields seem to recognize it. So what I started doing was looking at electrotherapy. And I met Bjorn Nordenstrom. Sort of we became pen pals when I published the research efforts I have for my cell biology efforts in electrotherapy in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute. And when I sent him the results, he was very excited because he was treating people with electrotherapy, something that had been done for over 100 years, but he improved it immensely. And patients who were deemed terminal, two, three weeks, a month to live, they lived seven years, 10 years, and beyond with Nordenstrom's treatment. In fact, Nordenstrom was becoming embarrassing for the medical establishment because his terminal patients were living, and many of their stage one and stage two patients treated with conventional techniques were dying. So Nordenstrom was becoming a problem, and what he ended up doing was he had to go to China to introduce his electrotherapeutic technique because his colleagues did not want his results to overwhelm them. Keep in mind that electrotherapy can reduce the amount of chemotherapeutic agent by a factor of 10, and that's a $160 billion a year business or somewhere around that. So anyway, what Nordenstrom was introducing was a very safe technique for both patient and doctor, and nobody was buying it at Karolinska, so we had to go to China. And as we wrote, I was fiddling around with electrotherapy for connective tissue disease. I was able to treat my mother's adhesive capsulitis after my ex-wife was treated for adhesive capsulitis, which is frozen shoulder, with an electrotherapeutic machine called an electroacuscope. And the recovery was marvelous. I mean, they were both essentially crippled, and within three treatments, they were swinging their arms around and, and having a good time. And I had acquired plantar fasciitis, which feels like a nail in your foot. And after treating myself, the electroacuscope, three treatments, it was gone. And a podiatrist can't do much for you with plantar fasciitis. 
So those experiences put the final nail in the coffin for me with respect to a lot of outdated and dangerous conventional medical practices that hurt or kill a patient. And by the way, that's called iatrogenic disease. And we lose about, according to Barbara Starfield in the Journal of American Medical Association, we lose somewhere between 250,000 and a million people a year to iatrogenic disease where they're dead as a result of a treatment visiting a doctor or visiting a hospital or clinic. So anyway, we have a lot of competent medical doctors. The problem is they're forced to work with a lot of dangerous therapeutic and diagnostic tools in allopathic medicine. And if they're given the right tools, the safe tools, such as electrotherapy for cancer, visual disease, they're going to be doing a lot less damage and a lot more good for their patients at a much lower cost and with much longer-term results. Can you describe Dr. Nordenstrom's BCEC theory and his cancer treatment technique for localized tumors? His approach is a derivative of standard wound healing. If you have a cut or a bruise, the center of that wound or cut is very acidic. There are a lot of cells that are lysing, they're dying off, and they're spewing out a lot of acidic byproducts. And so relative to the normal tissue at the periphery of the injury, the center of the wound is acidic, which means it's got a lot of hydrogen ions, which means it's positively biased or positive, has a positive polarity compared to the normal tissue. In other words, your wound is a wet cell battery. Negatively charged nutrients will be drawn into the positive part of the injury, the center of the site, and white blood cells, which are negatively charged, will be attracted immediately to that site. Immunologists have complained for years that standard immunological models don't work. They're not fast enough. Well, if you have an electric field, the movement of molecules and white blood cells is very fast. In fact, anywhere from 100 to almost 1,000 times faster. So what he was doing uh, essentially was, was aiding that process. A tumor is like an injury site also, and by applying a positive bias or a positive polarity to the center of the tumor and uh, negative electrodes to the outer periphery, he was just aiding the process that naturally occurs in the body. And the conductive pathway involves the flow of ions, hydrogen, sodium, chloride ions, phosphate, and they're flowing in the bloodstream and through the interstitial spaces between cells. So you have this circulating current, similar to a battery, except that in a battery, the primary carrier is electrons in the circuit and ions in the battery itself. In this particular case, in Nordenstrom's model, the primary electrical carriers are ions, and they're flowing around from the blood and the blood vessels back to the injury site through the interstitial spaces back to the blood vessel again in the circulating current. So essentially, that's the biologically closed electric circuit model oversimplified. And again, in that model, the white blood cells are attracted to the center of the injury, which is the tumor. And also, another magical thing that occurs, and Nordenstrom noticed this in his x-ray radiographs, he saw streaks, and all of the radiologists said, ah, they're just artifacts. And Nordenstrom said, no, that's water. That's water being drawn away from the tumor. There's a process called osmosis, which draws water into the tumor, but electroosmosis, which essentially is is attached to the ions that are flowing away from the tumor, electroosmosis pulls water out, and electroosmosis overcomes the effect of osmosis. And so what it does for cancer, star center of, of the uh, tumor, and that's why a remission occurs from the center out, because the center is starved, and also it has a poorly formed vascular structure. So what Nordenstrom did was he described the physics and physiology of cancer using what he saw in his radiographs, his x-rays of lung tumors, and he was dead on. He was definitely right about that, and it took a number of years for people to accept it. How many people have been treated with Nordenstrom's technique? Oh, I 
would say maybe 11,000 to 12,000 in China. But you take Sweden, Germany, Italy, Australia, a few in the U.S., there's probably another total of maybe 1,000. So there's roughly 12 to roughly 13,000 people worldwide that have been treated for cancer and the non-malignant tumor, which can be just as deadly in some cases, hemangioma, which is basically tissue that's just gone wild. How does Dr. Robert O. Becker fit into all of this? He fits with Nordenstrom because Nordenstrom describes a physiological system from the organ to tissue level. He talks about the flowing ions flowing around in the blood vessels and the interstitial spaces back to the injury site again. He's basically, Dordenstrom describes, uh, and was one of the first to do this in detail, describes the cyclical nature on an organ-connected level at the nervous system and how the vascular system and how the various organs are interconnected. Becker describes the process from the molecular cell level. And what Becker did was he described a process called cell de-differentiation, where this, a diseased cell actually can go back to its embryonic stage and then come back as the same tissue cell or something different. And that can be done uh, with electrical stimulation. And he did that with amphibians and published his results in the journal of New York Academy of Sciences. He lost a tremendous amount of support for this heresy because this was heresy at the time. And the same people who persecuted and prosecuted him ended up sponsoring chemically induced cell de-differentiation studies later on. Nobody acknowledged Becker and his work, but he was 20 to 30 years ahead of his time. And there was a special issue on regeneration and cell de-differentiation in science some years ago, and not one word of Becker was mentioned. But yet he was the one who really pioneered this thought. What Becker also described was a closed-circuit neurological system based on the nervous system and blood vessels that complemented Nordenstrom's large-scale system approach. You combine Nordenstrom and Becker, you've got everything from organ and tissue all the way down to the molecular level. And both Nordenstrom and Becker were shunned by their colleagues for for their successful work. Their work was very successful. And the thing about Becker is what he's done fits in and ties in very nicely with Bruce Lipton and Gilbert Ling. These are two individuals who also have suffered severe criticism for violating the dogma of the day. But the combination of Ling and Lipton tell us is that the cell, DNA, is not really the primary total heredity factor in our, in our bodies. In fact, when you look at cancer, the cancer genes for breast cancer or lung cancer oftentimes only answer about 5 to 7% of the cancers. The rest of the cancers are not essentially affected by those genes. So what is it that affects them? Well, it's an area called epigenetics, which involves much more than DNA. And what Lipton and Ling, their combined work, describes is the nucleus of the cell has DNA in it, and the DNA is a hard drive, but the intelligence of the cell is in the membrane. The membrane has the keyboard, the central processing unit, all the processing that essentially goes on that causes that cell to do its thing. And If that model is even close to correct, then electrical stimulation of cells can have a massive impact on cells and tissue in the human body. And what I found in my research years ago with red blood cells, I de-differentiated red blood cells back to their embryonic form. And when I presented this data, people in medical school almost wanted to duke it out with me. They were so angry. (laughs) It was... But I said, I don't, I, and they said, this is cyto, they said, cytoskeletal rearrangement. I said, no, it isn't. It's uniform, and it follows exactly the pattern that Becker showed in his New York Academy of Sciences paper. 
go from a red blood cell to something that looks like a spoked wheel all the way down to a flat embryonic cell as you keep stimulating the cell with about one microamp of current. And in the medical school, people said, well, there's no DNA, no nucleus in it. And there is mitochondrial DNA, but there's no nuclear DNA. And I said, I don't care. They're de-differentiated, and you're going to have to live with it. And when you look at what Lipton and Ling have done, they answer why that cell be differentiated because it doesn't need the nuclear DNA. What it needs is the intelligence that is provided by the cell membrane. And we now realize that the cell membrane is not just a bunch of phospholipids, that over 50% of it is protein. And protein provides the structure and the chemical enzymes to do the processing and to provide the electrical conduits and the mechanical movement that would be required for this, the electromechanical movement, I should say, that would be required for this keyboard central processing unit model of the membrane of the cell. So it's beautiful. That data that I took years ago verifies, uh, or I should say supports, what both Ling and Bruce Lipton are saying. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. How does all of this healing process relate to something, let's say, like visual disease? Well, visual disease, I got into the application of electrotherapy to visual disease back in 1998. John Jarding, an optometrist out in South Dakota, and I started a company. He had a relationship with the FDA, and he was, these were FDA studies. He was using TENS units to treat macular degeneration patients, and their recovery was miraculous. The problem is, is that these TENS units, the currents are too high, and they're not really reliable, and he wanted something more reliable, so we patented uh, an electrotherapeutic device that was des- basically designed for visual disease only. And in terms of applying current into the eye, you close the eyelid, you hold one electrode in your hand, put the other electrode to the closed eyelid, and you put about roughly 100 microamps of current into the eye. And that amount of current it actually is lower than some of the naturally occurring currents in your body. And you do it to a number of points around the eye. And within the first couple of treatments, macular degeneration patients lose the fog or the haze that they seem to, they, that they're looking through all the time. And then after about two or three days of treatment, all of a sudden their visual acuity is starting to improve very fast on the Snellen chart. And some of these people are still playing golf and driving a car after 12 to 15 years. The mechanism that's going on involves a number of things. Number one, there are processes going on very similar to what occurs with a wound healing in a cut or an infection. Secondly, electrical stimulation heals vascular tissue. That's been known for quite some time. And you can actually grow new epithelial tissue and blood vessels with electrotherapy at specific frequencies. And these frequencies are like, oh, maybe one cycle per second to 40 cycles per second in that range. So that's been verified experimentally. And we also know that 10 cycles per second affects DNA. So essentially, cellular DNA replication and cell growth. And also, finally, just direct current by itself enhances the production of adenosine triphosphate, which is our energy currency, significantly. And without ATP, we don't, you know, we can't do anything. We can't see, we can't hear, we can't move, we can't do a thing. We just collapse. So ATP is a key issue, and essentially you start generating that, that molecule right away. And that's why their vision improves so quickly. 
And then there are also other factors that come in later on called neurotrophins that uh, actually uh, are involved in the healing and the regrowth of neurons. So there's a lot going on at the same time with visual disease. The company passed the FDA Phase 1 clinical trial tests uh, about a little over a little over a year ago, and Phase 2 is coming up, and other devices are being marketed in Canada and in Europe almost as we speak. It sounds like there's been a lot of efforts brought to bear to block electrotherapy for many different diseases over the years. What is your prognosis for electrotherapy in America in the future? Well, just take vision, for instance, which is the most near-term item coming down the road. If you look at LASIK years ago, ophthalmologists fought LASIK. And so where did they introduce LASIK? Canada. And then all of a sudden, when people were going to Canada, uh, ophthalmologists saw the light. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how the loss of revenue and the loss of power and the loss of credibility will affect a profession. The same thing is going to happen here. With the European market and the Canadian market opening up, people are going to be going there, and ophthalmologists are going to have to adapt. The reason that they're blocking it, it took me a long time to get a paper published in this area, and finally did. And the reason they're blocking it is from a technical reporting area and from a financial area. There are a lot of ophthalmologists that sit on funding boards. The reason they're doing that is because they want the patient to progress from dry macular to wet macular where they can treat them with lucentis injections, which are a couple of grand an injection, and you've got to take about 6 to 12 of those a year. Laser treatments or surgery. Conventionally, right now, they don't have anything to treat macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, and, and other visual diseases like that. But the reason they block it is they don't have anything to, to treat dry macular. And, of course, once these patients are treated at the dry macular level, most of them do not progress to wet. They just stay at the dry macular level. Their vision improves, and they treat themselves for the rest of their lives. And but what's really strange about this, ophthalmology pioneered this back in the 1880s. And in the London Journal of Ophthalmic Reports and the American Transactions of Ophthalmology, there are papers done by physicians and ophthalmologists on early electrotherapy experiments in retinitis pigmentosa and choroidal disease using direct currents. And in many cases, all of the retinitis pigmentosa patients improved. Their vision improved. Their field of vision improved. And so they pioneered it. Yes, right now they're blocking it. Ophthalmology is doing research in something mildly similar to this. It's called um, transcorneal electrical stimulation, where the electrode is actually placed on the eyeball. And the problem with that is the currents are too high and also... I don't like the idea of putting an electrode on an eyeball. It's not as safe as putting it on an eyelid. It's kind of an offshoot of their electroretinogram, where they read the electrical activity of the retina. They're using it to stimulate the retina and to essentially treat certain kinds of visual disease, and there are clinical studies in this area right now. But transcorneal electrical stimulation is simply not the way to go. The currents are too high. And how are you going to get a 75-year-old patient to stick a little wire electrode on their cornea and have it in there straight and then spend, you know, several hours a week treating themselves with this thing? It just makes no sense at all. But that's kind of what they're doing. So anytime an ophthalmologist will say there's no science to this or nobody's doing it, it's bull because uh, they've been doing it for over 100 years. Dr. O'Clock, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about electrotherapy tonight. Anyone wanting to learn more about electrotherapy and biologically closed electrical circuits should check out the IABC website. And because it's a rather long URL, I'm going to put a link on the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. 
And don't forget Dr. O'Clock's book, Electrotherapeutic Devices, Principles, Design, and Applications. And Dr. O'Clock's website is www.george.oclock at readywebsites.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back again next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.